0: All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of me acting a little weird, a little strange, and lots of... Yep, man, got a question for the KFG. Let's get to it every day i practice martial oh. arts
1: <laughs> yo dre how you doing man oh my god sifu i am the clench you for clench yeah we
0: just finished the first day
1: first day of, of ITC. itc right yeah i can't move yeah 6 hours of training yeah technical stuff technical. lots of sparring sparring yeah we had lots Sparingly of stuff going on so, yeah i mean it's pretty intense 6 hours of training is like no you did joke in, right in, uh... Like, Germany, like I trained at the castle. Yeah. So basically, you did one day today <laughs> of what you of did, of for what I three did for three years. years. Yeah, yeah. All right? Got you. So yeah. uh, if you complain, Love it. it shows you uh, a wuss. Uh, all right. Oh, thank you, sir. So ah, uh, there. Thank you for putting the mic in front of them Thank you. MCs don't know that kind of stuff. Hip-hopers. I mean, this
0: is our special ITC
1: itc episode, you know episode right? i guess yeah. that's
0: what we're gonna call it in a thumbnail ITC, it. episode, bam. itc
1: episode bam yeah that's gonna mean a lot to people yeah <laughs> no one is gonna watch this nope. video if we go yo hey. kfg itc episode they was, like, like, what, what does itc mean right? they Come gotta on. look maybe it up on google maybe if we call it THC episode yeah. right?
2: oh i gotta ask you trey though What's how are you feeling you
0: yeah. good i'm just tired
1: looking a little pale today i'm i'm yeah
0: a lot of movement
1: today. A lot, of, lot movement. of movement. All right, Trey. I'm beat. So, so this is a special episode. Okay, let's get so right let's into get it. So let's get right to it. What you got for me?
0: First off, we got Chris McDaniel. Chris McDaniel. All right. All right. Do you cover how to respond to attacks even if it's too late in your books? That's something
1: I would buy right now, <laughs> KFG. If I If I show in my books how to respond to attacks even if you're too late. So let me get this straight. How you respond to attacks once you've been punched in the face?
3: <laughs> that <laughs> is
1: correct. Once you've been kicked, once you've been choked out, do I then show you, okay, if you get punched in the face, this is what you do, all right? Uh, no. Well, first of all, the books that I've written so far have been focused on the various Wing Chun forms. So I did a book on the Siunam Nim Tao. I did a book on the Chaom Q. I just recently released a book on The Wooden Dummy, and I have my Chi Sao Fundamentals. So none of those books really focus on like the fighting stuff per se. They're more about the forms. They're companion books. I do have a movement book. Maybe I'll make an application book at some point. But to answer this gentleman's question, Dre, uh, no, I don't teach in my books how to defend attacks when you're too late. Because once you've been punched in the face... Then you're going to go into survival mode. Most of your martial arts training is going to go out the window. So, uh, no, there are no real defenses to m- attacks once it's too late. So, what else you got for me, Dre? How do you break the neck? <laughs> <laughs> is that your own question or is that someone <laughs> else's question, right? Yeah, who read that question? Yeah, who re- whose question is that? Uh, Gazzy, Jeff, no, Prince needed. KFG. Gazi Jeff, no <laughs> prints needed. How do you break the neck? Um, what's funny you would ask that, or sorry, this person would ask that question because many, many years ago, I had a student uh, who uh, I'm just going to put it mildly. He was uh, he had a lot of fancy ideas about martial arts. And uh, I remember I was teaching class one day and uh I had just taught some kind of cheese Sao drill. And then I said, okay, uh, so does anyone have any questions? And usually the assumption is when you ask your students, do you have any questions? Uh, it's usually assumed they're going to ask you a question about the drill that you just showed. Um, but I, you know, I showed a cheese Sao drill. And then I said, okay, does anyone have any questions? Expecting a question about the cheese Sao drill. And this student goes... Um, Sivu, how do you break the neck, <laughs> right? And I'm like, uh, okay, that was not the question I was expecting, but that was the question that I got. So, um, yeah, it's very funny that this person would write in and ask me that question, how do you break the neck? Because I did, in fact, get that question once years ago, from a kind of weird student. But anyway. So,
2: well, no, no, but how do you break the neck then? You didn't actually answer the question.
1: No, I wouldn't answer that question, <laughs> all right? I might try to answer it, but I don't know if I would answer that question, all right? It's a nonsense question. How do you break the neck, all right? Nonsense, all right? You pick someone up and spike them on their head. Otherwise, I don't know how are you going to generate enough force to do that. Okay, but so. anyway, so Dre... Dre, you sure you're feeling okay? You keep, you keep looking like you're not feeling great. Uh, I'm not feeling that good. You're not feeling that good? <laughs> all right, okay. Oh, no, so Seymour, seem all right to me. Yeah, and, and you know what's weird? You sound a whole lot yeah, better, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow, you got some audio chocolate going on. That's right, audio
0: chocolate. I lost
1: size and weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dre, what's the next question you got for well, me? I have something here. How many Wing Chun lineages are there? All right, who asked that question? Uh, Prince Namor. Prince Namor. Wow, that's quite the handle. Um, How many Wing Chun lineages are there? Yes. Uh, That's a really difficult question to answer because um, it also depends on what you consider a lineage, right? Because, for example, the Yip Man lineage, very famous. Yip Man, obviously, most streams of Wing Chun generally tend to come from the Yip Man line. So is that one lineage? Because all of the students of Yip Man now teach their own thing, and they're so different, they basically have their own lineages, right? So oh. now the Yip Man lineage is basically subdivided into every single person who learned from Yip Man kind of more or less teaching their own thing. So you would have as many lineages as you would have people teaching Wing Chun. Plus then their students go on, and they start to teach, which might be a little bit different from when they Sifu learned. So lineages... Keep kind of growing and growing and growing. So it's oh, okay. it she really depends in. on whether you're gonna break it down into the the main streams of Wing Chun, Yun Kei san, Yip Man, uh, different types of Fatsan, Wing Chun, so on and so on. Or um, are you gonna now consider every subversion of those things as a different lineage, as a different lineage? So I think it's kind of an impossible question to answer oh okay Uh, at least an impossible question i mean i'm sure there are people out there who'll give you an answer but it just depends on the context depends on you know the uh the meaning and stuff so that's a really difficult question to answer i mean how many lineages of Wing Chun are there really depends on what you consider a Wing Chun lineage if you consider the subdivisions as their own lineages i mean that would that's a question that's really, really difficult mm-hmm. to answer because there's some people that think, oh, all Wing Chun is the same family. It's all the same. You have those th- that kind of stream of thought. And then you have other people that if there's a minor variation in something, this is something totally different. So that's kind of an impossible question to answer. So, yeah. So, Dre, what else you got for me? <sighs>
0: Sifu, is it, is it hot in here or is it? Uh,
1: it is hot <laughs> in here. It is summertime. We have soundproofing, which basically works as insulation so it it kind of yeah it turns it into kind of a very humid and dark place but you know you know that we've been through this before
2: i gotta say you are looking particularly handsome right now hmm.
1: yeah. must be this heat yeah the heat.
2: yeah i don't know what, i think it's whatever's going on up there it's fantastic I'm he
1: keeps looking better and better at first i thought he was not feeling well but now i think he's feeling fantastic absolutely all right so you, what else you got for me drake all right next question we have Chris Beardy Lee. Beardy? Are you kidding beardy? me? Beardy. Beardy. Uh,
2: really? It can't be the... Is he trying to get in, like, like sort of low-key? Do you think it's the Well, I, I, would,
1: I wouldn't say it's getting in low-key when he straight-up says his name is Beardy. <laughs> I would say that's high-key. He must not be trying to sneak in. <laughs> right now. Beardy, wouldn't yeah, it? using that Beardy tact. <laughs>
0: All right. He is asking, one of the greatest Goldish Harvin slash Raymond Chow movies ever created... Also filmed in New York City is the 1990 masterpiece *Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles*. Okay, what is the most what is most compelling about this movie, and what character would you be if you could go back in time and be in the movie?
1: Wow, you know what's weird? As so, I was I was you know that's kind of my generation a little bit. I didn't really watch the cartoons so much, but I was into that movie. Um, everyone obviously identifies with one of the Ninja Turtles. I kind of always liked Casey Jones, Hmm, the Jose Canseco bag. That's right. <laughs> Tell um, me you didn't pay money for be, this be, because I wow, you really you really got those lines down. Because uh, I really thought there was just some cool about beating dudes up while wearing a <laughs> hockey mask, and he was he wasn't like bound by being a ninja or he wasn't bound by ninja code or Splinter telling him what to do or anything <laughs> like that. So I always kind of thought when I was younger, I always thought he was kind of badass. I really, really liked that uh, that character. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of that flies under the radar a little bit that the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was a Golden Harvest co-production. And um, that, uh, you know, I like the martial arts in it. Obviously, it was really difficult for them to do that because they're all in those rubber suits, right? But there's something I like much better about Watching the practical effects of those guys in the rubber suits compared to like just CGIing the Ninja Turtles, right? That's right. Um, I, there's just something a little bit more real, and I think no matter how good CGI gets, I think um, you know the real practical effects, having actual people doing it, is always going to look better than uh, than you know doing that on kind of the computer screen or whatever. But yeah, no, no, Casey Jones, that's my guy right there. I would be Casey Jones. If I was in that movie.
2: I gotta say, my mind is kinda of blown that Golden Harvest did the first teen I had yes. no idea.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Raymond Chow was a co-producer what? on that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you watch the opening credits, you'll see that. Yeah. Golden Harvest, he was either a producer or co producer on, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
2: Well, here's a fun fact about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, for those of you, this is a bit of a deep cut. Like in England.
1: Oh, no one cares about it in England.
2: Oh you know what? Okay. I'm still going to say it anyway. Okay, whatever. Okay, well, basically in England, we called it Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage
1: Mutant (laughs) Hero Turtles? Yep,
2: and they cut all the violence out of it.
1: (laughs) What was the point?
2: Exactly. I didn't know that it was a violent cartoon called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles until I was an adult. What? Yeah, seriously. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, heroes (sighs) in a half shell, turtle power. That's what it was.
1: So yeah, so I never quite understood this problem that you guys have in the UK with violence, because um, first of all, you guys trample all over the rest of the world <laughs> taking it over, and I just like I really it's really kind of strange. Like, <laughs> like okay, we're gonna take over your country, we're gonna colonize the shit out of you, but you can't show Bruce Lee doing more than two kicks in one cut.
2: All I right, know, it's amazing, isn't it, it?
1: Yeah, because I know you know from from people who grew up in the UK watching Bruce Lee films, like for example, Way of the Dragon. Was like highly edited because of like yeah. the violence, and there was something like that you couldn't have so multiple kicks in one scene. So, like, the scenes where he's just, like, kicking the crap out of Chuck Norris, all of that stuff was edited out. So so I'm, I'm, I was always wondering, like, what the British versions of those films were like. Bruce Lee does the stretching you know, to, about to fight Chuck Norris, and they get into the stance, and then the next scene, Chuck Norris, is he's putting the gi over Chuck Norris, right? Yeah. It's like they cut everything up. But man, even Ninja Turtles, are car- I mean, the violence in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon was not really intense from what I recall.
2: Well, you know what it was, is there apparently um, some, I believe, I. Reckon this was an urban myth, but there was this whole thing that, like, the press got hold of us at some, like, primary, which is elementary school to everyone else. Primary school uh-huh. students, like, some had brought back, like, you know, samurai swords from their trips to Thailand and had apparently some eight year old. Thailand? Yeah, <laughs> I After know. that they right? colonized now, this, Thailand. <laughs> 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 oh, how cheeky, Trey. How cheeky. Touche. But anyway, I mean, no, seriously, they were like, just some, apparently, I think it's some eight year old lopped off some six year old kid's arm at school with one of these. It's samurai. always
1: one kid that messes it up for yeah, everyone else. absolutely
2: yeah and yeah. it was obviously 100% true because it was on the news
1: right so. and because of that you got teenage, teenage mutant, mutant hero, hero turtles, turtles. <laughs> Wow
2: yeah I've been traumatized for life because
1: oh, of this. that's like the lamest thing I've heard all week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah welcome
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense though all right and now look at you you're an adult you live in New York and you're learning proper violence
2: I know it's fantastic right. and yeah. thank you for that
1: too. yes so, Dre, what else you got for me? Well, you know,
3: before I go into the next question, I just wanted to give a shout-out to the third but never-seen member of this crew, the uh-huh. editor. I, I feel, I, we've never seen him, but I have the a The third,
1: for- because we got me, we got <laughs> Dre, and we got the third exactly. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dre. And <laughs> <laughs> May I, I say that you are
2: getting even more handsome <laughs> for a second?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I you don't know, know what's great is that the audience generally shits on the a disembodied voice that's doing the audio. <laughs> yeah. But it seems that even people who are more closely connected with the show seem to forget that this guy exists. What about the third member of the KFG Podcast? Me, Dre, and the editor. <laughs> because there's no one else involved. It's, it's in this is my goldfish. Podcast. Memory. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, shout out to Andrew Lynn, the yeah. editor of KFG Podcast. He does a fantastic job. Come to New York, man. We miss you. Yeah, big it's, time. It's Seriously. too hard to get to New
3: York from horse drawn carriage. <laughs> It's, it's a tough journey. Yeah, especially when, when you're the horse. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what you got for me, man? Alright, so we've got Drew Boy sixty four. Drew Boy sixty four. What a weird handle. Yeah, no, right? I know, right. <laughs> sixty the sixty three. <laughs> Someone is true. sixty three other boys called Drew oh, Uh he's got wow. a hypothetical. Oh, so Oh dear
2: God, goodness. really? Him so, as well.
3: So, so let's say someday you're you're at your school and out of nowhere, some guy named Bill G, the science guy, shows up to your school. God, he's
1: Bill just Bill G, the science guy.
3: He's just completely rude, and you're teaching a brand new student. You just got done teaching an intro lesson, and he's threatening your brand new student and says he has to fight him in one year. So you have to train this student in one year to fight Bill G, the science guy. My God. So <laughs> how will your teaching this student differ from your usual curriculum?
1: Wow, this person really knows how to get under my skin with this hypothetical knowing. I get it. It's Bill G, the science guy. Technically, it's like Bill Nye, the science guy. And people know that I have a history with Bill Nye, the science guy. He probably doesn't remember me. But, Mm -hmm. oh, I remember him. Oh, yeah. Bill Nye, I used to work for BMW. You know, for for long-time listeners, I know you guys have heard this story. But to recap, I used to work for BMW Motorcycles in the Seattle area. And Bill Nye, the science guy, was one of our customers. And he was the biggest prick I've ever dealt with in my entire life, okay? (laughs) And, uh, you know, as I said before, I didn't know that he was a prick. All my coworkers knew he was a prick. And the first time he showed up, all my coworkers knew what he was like. And I was like, oh, man, look, Bill Nye, the science guy, is coming. And I turned around. I'm like, guys, guys, where'd you go? (laughs) And suddenly I realized I'm the only one manning the front counter, (laughs) and Bill Nye the science guy came in and I very quickly found found out why all of my coworkers got the hell out. He was one of the most insufferable. It was so ridiculous because he was such a prick. It felt like I was in a hidden camera TV show. Like, here's Bill Nye the science guy who has a science show and everyone in Seattle knows him because he used to be on the show called Almost Live, which was like the lame Puget Sound version of Saturday Night Live. It was half an hour long and it came on right before Saturday Night Live and it was like a sketch show but it was like local comedy like, oh, let's make jokes about Puyallup because people know about that, right? So if you didn't live in Seattle, none of it made sense. It was like making fun of women from Renton, having beer can earrings, stuff like that. Like, if I tell you, doesn't make any... You have to be there to understand, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: So this was back when he was just trying to be a straight comedian. No, no, he, <laughs> no he, he, he was
1: already doing Bill Nye the Science He was oh, already Bill okay. Nye the Science Guy. So oh, okay. he, had, he had done that sketch show, and then later he... So he was already Bill Nye the Science Guy at this point, right? Bill, Bill, Bill. But Bill, Bill. holy cow, was that guy an insufferable prick. <laughs> so if Bill G, the Science Guy, comes in and challenges one of my students, female students... Uh, yeah, I assume sure. like the origin, yeah, myth, yeah, yeah. And I gotta train her in one year to fight him. Um, I think I know what I would do. I would, uh, I would have that student work at a BMW motorcycle shop, <laughs> and then say that's where the challenge fight is gonna be. Uh, invite him over there, but first say uh, you can only fight her if she can get you this part for a motorcycle. <laughs> and he will come up and he will ask for the easiest part available on the motorcycle Mm. and you will not be able to find it (laughs) and he will have a meltdown and he will literally melt like the wicked witch of the east and that would destroy bill g the science guy he would say i need a bolt for this uh motorcycle and you'd be like "Uh, you need an oil pan no, I need a bolt for uh, the bottom of this uh, motorcycle. He'd be like, oh, you need handlebars? You do that three or four times, I think he would literally just explode in rage.
2: Now, I'd I'd actually like to, would he, but you would, would he explode like one of his science experiments on the TV show?
1: Yes. (laughs) I think he would blow up like the dude from Big Trouble in Little China. (laughs) He would just slowly start puffing out and he would explode. He would ask you for a simple part. And you would just keep bringing him the wrong part and if you did that three or four times i think he would just he would literally self-destruct
2: i, I think you found his weakness
1: yo dre you've been working out a little here and there
2: <laughs> do you even really lift
1: bro you, i lift a little bit right you look like you've been lifting a lot since that last question i lift heavy things all day long <laughs> Straight, <laughs> handsome, Yo, but working out. I know, man. You cannot change my voice. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so, what's the next question you got for me? He's, he's <laughs> got to read it. No, <laughs> <It's such> a... <laughs> I'm sure it's on the screen yeah. here somewhere. Well, it's, uh, I want to know if you lift weights. If I lift weights? Yeah. Who, who asked that question? It's not if you want to ask me. It's if. It's if. <laughs> <laughs> If you lift weight, hold bro? Hold on a second. <laughs> is, is Dre's getting assistance?
2: Yeah, I think, think Dre's having okay, a meltdown. So who,
1: who's asking the question? What's their handle? Mr. Universal Solution. Mr. Universal Solution. Wow, All this right. guy sounds... The question is, do I lift weights? Do you lift weights? No. Um, I don't believe in lifting weights because I think lifting weights will make your wing chun really stiff. So um, <laughs> what I what I do instead is I I just do push-ups... I do pull-ups, and I do dance. And that's how, I, that's how I built my physique. Is that like pole dancing? Pole dancing, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say what type of dancing, All right, but all right. yes. We'll keep it in the down low. It's pole dancing. So that's essentially the secret to, to my workouts. But no, I, I don't lift weights. Lifting weights is the worst thing in the world you could do. Oh, I better stop then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless your Wing Chun is going to suffer immensely. It already sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, these questions are going by real fast, Ray.
2: Yeah, this is probably, this is probably the fastest uh, episode this we've is This is going to be a
1: 30-minute episode of Kung Fu Genius.
2: I know, right? It's an interesting experiment, That It means that you actually are capable of answering questions without going off on tangents.
1: It is it is, but the part of the reason why I'm doing that is Dre seems to be quite anxious today. yeah, so I feel that if I uh, if I go on too long, he's gonna get a little bit too. he's gonna like a gremlin eating after midnight kind of thing if you right get me wet I uh, you know, I double up. What? <laughs> what? 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 That was a deep cut Gremlin <laughs> reference. That like you the Gremlin, say. you know, you wet, I get yeah, wet. Yeah,
2: but with that voice, it sounds like something completely different.
1: Holy cow! This yeah. episode's going off the rails. I'm the ugly Gremlin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dre,
1: Dre, what? you take it easy. You got to go <laughs> easy on <laughs> did, yourself, did man. For you well, when you work out, and you you know you lift them too many weights. Too heavy. All right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay, Dre. What's the next question?
0: Ah, Sifu, let me see here. Uh-huh. It's uh, from a guy called Malte.
1: That's probably a nickname. Malte, yeah. Okay. That's a strange name. I've never heard yeah, that name
0: before. Yeah, strange, yeah. yeah. Uh, it says, okay, it reads, uh, Sifu, should you ever come into a self-defense situation? Of course, we don't want that, and we practice for, for preventing that, but should it happen? yes. You know? Um, would you have a favorite country for for it to take place? A favorite country, a favorite for country. It to take place.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because if you have to defend yourself, say in a country like Germany, which has very strict self defense <laughs> laws, then you might have to deal with some problems, some repercussions afterwards legally, right? So I suppose if you have to defend yourself, you wanna be in the country with the loosest self defense laws that exist. I would right. expect that country would probably be the Philippines. (laughs) Uh, I'm just spitballing here. Although I could be totally wrong. They could have super strict, like you could, maybe they execute you for defending yourself on the street, I don't know. But uh, no, yeah, you would have to be a country where, um, I mean, of course you don't want to get in a fight. You don't want to have to use your skills. But if you're put in a situation where you're trying to de-escalate, the person is not giving up. You're really trying to get this guy to calm down and they keep pressing you, yeah. and you know you're gonna have to do something, then even though you're in your, even though you're fully justified to defend yourself, because you, you've told this guy three times, hey, don't take another step, leave me alone, I don't want any trouble, you've made it very clear to witnesses, you have your hands up in a passive defensive posture, so you've, you've checked all the boxes, Hi, boxes in terms of like, I'm legally justified, the guy takes that fourth step coming at you, and you go in, boom, You certainly want to be in a country that has very few repercussions. I don't know. Canada. What are you? (laughs) The UK. The UK? The UK is famous. They can do everything you want, probably. If right. you're drunk, yeah. if you're drunk. If, if you're, you're drunk. drunk. <laughs> oh, you have to be drunk and then you can do everything, right? Yeah,
2: oh, absolutely.
1: If you're sober, then you get in trouble. <laughs> but the, the judge will be like, or whatever, the magistrate or whatever the hell you guys call that shit over there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it wasn't my fault, officer.
1: Yeah, you'd be <laughs> like... I'm
2: governor, knock it on the end.
1: Were you drunk? Yes. Okay, case dismissed. <laughs> All right? Were you drunk? No, I was sober. Okay, now they're going to oh, throw the yeah. book at you, right? Is that how it works over there?
2: Well, I mean, you know, it depends. If you're up north that it's all bets are off when you get further than the Watford Gap, basically. You know what I mean? It's like... What does that even
1: mean? I don't <laughs> understand any of this. I'm, like, Was it, what, what are you saying? In the North, things are worse, looser? What, what, what is the deal?
2: Um, I mean... Are there uh, more
1: strict, more proper in the North?
2: Oh, hell no. North versus South divide. I am very much South, but all of my friends are Northerners. You know, like all those people from Oasis, they speak like this, don't they? And uh-huh. like, la... You know, Liverpool is a... How, how is
1: that different from how you speak?
2: <gasps> how dare you, sir? I speak, Received pronunciation, the Queen's English, BBC. Uh-huh.
1: uh-huh. And... Um... I know what BBC stands for.
2: <laughs> not so, on, so, not on so, this podcast, we so, don't.
1: <laughs> so wait a minute. So wait a minute. In England, it's the only place where it's cool to be from the south?
2: No. N- <laughs> <laughs>
1: Germany, it's not. In Germany, it's, not. So. In Germany, it's not, not. not. Here in the States, it's not super cool <laughs> to be from the South. But you're telling me, I have a feeling it's not cool to be in the South from where you're from either. You're just, because you happen to be from the South, and no one here knows anything about your wacky country, you're just saying this. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. Okay. Whatever. So, in this hypothetical question. There you go. I think if I were drunk, then I would definitely want to be where that guy's from, all right? If I were sober, I don't know. Well, the one thing about saying I want to do it in the Philippines is probably the guy I have to defend myself against has some kind of machete or gun.
2: Oh, yeah. I tell you what, actually, keep it in the UK. Go to Scotland. Uh Uh-huh. You can utilize the very, very underused technique that Wing Chun never talks about, the Glasgow
1: Kiss. Oh, I thought you were going to say fuck you. <laughs> no, no, the Chinese was... technique of fuck you.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's Hungar. Oh, okay. Um, all right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no Glasgow kiss. That's a headbutt. Yes, it is. Got it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, so okay. that
1: must be allowed there because it's named after that place.
2: Yeah, no. If you're ever in Scotland and someone offers you a Glasgow kiss,
1: say no. Is there a difference between people like you and say people from Ireland? Um Yeah. Because I, I, I can't tell. <laughs>
2: well, there's actually no difference between people like me and people from Australia, apparently.
1: No, they're the same, for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. criminals, that's for and sure. And forget
1: telling me that people from New Zealand are not the same as people from Australia.
2: <laughs> Ooh, you tell that to an Australian person, <laughs> and it's going to go off, I tell I you. I had a student
1: from New Zealand for a while, and someone, someone here <laughs> said, Oh, you're from Australia, right? And I just saw him... <laughs> I saw him get a little pissed off. It was kind oh, of funny.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. that I once made that did, made that mistake. I actually made that mistake with a Canadian and American once, and the, then I just so, oh yeah, so you're from America? No, I'm from Canada. Oh. He was so
1: nice. Right, he was so nice. Was if so it went nice. the other way around, it wouldn't be like that, no, right? Absolutely. But it's not. it's it's, uh, it's very similar. Like if someone is from New York and you ask them if they're from New Jersey, <laughs> like yes. those are fighting words. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, we got the next one coming. You, you're Drayman. You said you weren't feeling good at the top of the podcast. You are looking great, man. I think Thanks, you're actually not you. feeling thank that you. bad. So what's the uh, next question? What do we got here? So we got uh, the next question come from uh, Sven. Sven. Yeah, it's a, a weird bril- name. Absolutely. absolutely Really short. So... <laughs> What is, is that you? short for something? I, I don't like know. Like, or well, something uh, like that? Svenis. Swedish. Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> so All right, Sven, yes. I, like Swedish.
0: Okay. Okay, I, he comes to. Uh, should you ever come into a self defense situation? I think we just had that yeah, question. Yeah, I oh, oh just- sorry. Dad. What's <laughs>
1: that? Okay, I, I should. It's okay. Try We're it again. used to you messing up the questions. That's a very <laughs> Dre thing.
2: Absolutely.
1: Why?
0: <laughs> <laughs> And in some WT or WC styles, there is called Chiso or Gosso. Is that a thing or is it both together
1: like the same? I think that That's a very good question. Well, uh, qi sao is actually a very broad term. It's like an umbrella term for a group of exercises which you focus on sticking to your opponent's arms. But Qizao can be subdivided into different types of Qizhou. So Guo sao is a type of Qizao that is on the sparring end of the spectrum of Qizhou. So you have to imagine that Qizo is the general term, and in Qizo you have Single arm qi sao, dan qi, you have pun so, you have lap so, you have pak so, and you have ko sao. So you have all these different categories. And of course, you could even include a type of lat sao or da lat sao, where you mix qi sao with even some non-wing chun attacks. Uh, or m- a, m- a little more freestyle in terms of like you don't purely have to stick to your partner you can free your hands and punch and you have Letso as well so um is not separate it's not the same it's part of it right so you have to think of tseu as a very general term it's very non specific actually and all these different terms danti lap paxo pun punso all these kind of things are specific types of tseu so, yeah, so that's pretty much the whole tease-out, gauze-out thing. So what else you got for me, Dre? All right. You ready for the next one? Po- <laughs> oh <my laughs> yes, I am ready.
2: What well, we told you about eating on the podcast, I wasn't eating. I, we
1: always I was eating. not eating.
2: What, 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 what are you doing then? You know, Dre, we, we had this I a couple this. episodes
1: right. ago where it's like we have to tell Dre like six or seven times before he finally does something. Like before the episode, yo, Dre, turn your mic on. Yo, Dre, put the mic in front of you. Yo, Dre, speak into the mic. Yo, Dre, quit spitting on the mic. <laughs> I'm doing the things. Uh, okay. Okay. You ready for All the next right. question? I'm ready for the You're next ready. question. Okay. It's from Wing T-Sun. Wing T-Sun. Clan. Wing T-Sun Clan. Wing T-
2: I'm pretty sure that's Wing Chun
0: Clan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, prob- probably that. Um, The last
0: episode...
2: <laughs> The last episode you
0: mentioned, there was a death match between
1: a Tai Chi Wu and a White Crane Chan. Uh, the last episode, that was <laughs> that's like, what
2: they... we, like,
1: episode that? No, but no, we're talking about the the Tai Chi fight versus the White Crane fight. Yo, yeah. homie, that is like sixty five <laughs> episodes ago. <laughs> that's not right? That was like, the third, no, the, like the third episode. Well, that was seventy something episodes ago. You <laughs> 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 mean the last episode? <laughs> That's Not what it says. So
0: I don't know. Maybe it's uh, we're backed up. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are, are there any other death matches or waivers that you know of? And
1: uh, in recent history.
0: From around that time.
1: Uh I guess, I'm assuming. No, no. Well, so so I don't know. I mean, I, I I guarantee you that there is a there's someone there who's definitely a lot more qualified to answer okay. this stuff than me. So the the famous uh, you know, match between like the 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 Tai Chi guy and the white crane guy uh, happened in uh, Macau. It happened in the early 50s. We talked about it in a very early episode of Kung Fu Genius, like very early, like I think second or third episode. That's That's what we were talking about already. And actually, the shout out right here is to the Australian. Oh, to the Australian. Yo, shout out Mikey Dean. Someone shout out to Mikey Dean. He's getting a little bit more respect. Most of the time, people don't even remember his name. They barely forget. They they don't even remember that he exists. At least you're getting shouts out to the Australian now. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely fantastic. So uh, we're moving on up. Uh, so yeah, so that fight was famous for a couple of reasons. One, it was an absolute farce. I mean, when you watch the video of that fight, it's like watching two children who just literally don't know how to fight fight each other. And that shows you how Chinese martial arts in general had devolved by that time in the 50s, where you have guys who are mostly training forms had no ring experience, had never been in a ring before. uh, And now they're actually trying to really fight each other and hurt each other with techniques that they've never practiced in a sparring context. And you see how it's just like, you know, the, the fight is ridiculous. You can find it on YouTube. And um, but of course, it was the buildup was like, oh, these two legendary masters of their style are going to fight. So, of course, the perception people had in the 50s was that this was going to look like something that they had already seen in some Kung Fu movies or things that they had read in Kung Fu novels. Right. You're going to see this like amazing fight between these Kung Fu masters. And it ends up being an absolute farce. But in order to build it up, uh, they had both of the uh, fighters sign a, a, a death waiver. Meaning that, like, you know, if you kill the other person with your kung fu, uh, you know, you're not liable for, um, for you know, for, <laughs> for damages or whatever. Right. Um, and so at the beginning, they signed that. Right. And, and that was really part of the promotion. I believe that in some of the public duels between martial art masters in the past, but I believe pre TV times, uh, I think that that was actually a common occurrence Because uh, there was a perception that masters had developed these kind of skills. And if they hit you in the exact right place, uh, they can terminate your life with one punch. Take 50 steps and die. You take 50 steps and your heart explodes. And then a number of years later, you die in a masturbation accident (laughs) in Thailand. Right. Oh, sorry. I'm confusing (laughs) genres here. Something. All right. All right. um, uh, Yes. So um, I think that that was actually pretty normal. But I think that that would be essentially the modern equivalent of just signing a waiver before you fight, right? Um, But they would have stuff in there. You know, I'm pretty sure, actually, if you box professionally, you have to sign some kind of waiver. And I guarantee you in there is like in the event of you killing the other person.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Because because that, that is a potential outcome of anything. I'm sure UFC fighters... Um, who who fight, and I'm sure there's something in there about one, if they get killed, not suing the UFC, (laughs) and two, if they kill the other person um, being held harmless or whatever, right? So, of course, we make a big deal out of it because it's like, oh, it's the death waiver or whatever, but I I would venture to guess that most professional fighters have to sign some kind of liability waiver, and there's something in there about death, even though that's not something that really happens in professional fighting, you know? Um, I mean, it has happened, Oddly enough, hasn't happened in UFC, but it has happened in smaller MMA promotions, you know, maybe that are not as well regulated. The fighters didn't get the same medicals or the referee is not professional and let the guy take too many punches on the ground. Um, You know, but if you think about it, if in mixed martial arts where you can punch, kick, elbow, knee, someone's head. Yeah. And you don't really see regular occurrences of death. How likely is it that two kung fu (laughs) masters We're gonna. One was gonna kill the other one in the ring in the 40s or 50s. It's not very likely.
0: Do you think that fight like led to the? Rooftop fights because they're like this is bullshit.
1: And- no, because first of all, rooftop fights were already going okay. on. So, I mean, rooftop fights, as I mentioned in in uh, another podcast, I'm surprised you don't remember, Dre. We actually recorded it this morning. Um, well, that's uh, not
2: surprising to be fair. Yeah,
1: it? I mean, he's, we, he, he just, does have goldfish memory here. He right? Remember anything from five that was minutes today? Ago. He doesn't remember anything from five minutes. Yeah, that was today. Uh, I spent a year here one afternoon. Um, <laughs> the reason why people fought on the rooftops in Hong Kong was convenience because. Uh, especially in the 1950s and 1960s. Remember, most of these rooftop fights were happening between, like, high school-age kids, all right? Or maybe very young adults. So these are not, like, grown-ass men with, like, hardcore fight careers, you know, like like having these martial duels. These are teenagers, 18, 19, 20, who practice some martial arts. They want to test themselves out against someone. So what they do, they have a friendly match with someone else. Now... They don't want to have this fight in the park because if they get caught, that's fighting. They can get arrested and they're worrying about, you know, job prospects and uh, going to school and they don't want mom and dad to get upset that they got arrested. remember that most Chinese um, families that you stay at home until you get married, even in Hong Kong to this day, it's still like that because Hong Kong is so expensive. So it's pretty normal that you actually live at home even as a grown-ass man or a grown-ass woman until it's time to get married. So you could be 21, 22 years old and you don't wanna, you're don't want to. you not really an adult because if you go out and fight and get arrested, you still got to go home to moms beat at that up twice. age. Yeah, you get beat up twice, right? So rooftops were the most convenient place to fight outside of the eye of the public and certainly cops and other people uh, because most Hong Kong... Tenement buildings had a flat roof. It, varying degrees of how much ledge there was at the <laughs> end there. I mean, there are stories of Sifu Chanchi Man, from William Chang, about people almost getting knocked over those things, right? So sometimes they would have the students kind of guard the ledge or whatever. But, you know, sometimes these things can really get off the rails and things can get heated very quickly. Um, I believe that there was one rooftop death, but it actually happened much later. It happened in the early 70s. Um, I don't remember exactly what i don't remember if someone fell off a roof or if someone just got the shit beat out of them or whatever right but uh the whole rooftop challenge thing was more of a more of a setup of convenience than anything you know anything other than that and i don't think that that's what led to the uh rooftop fights you know the the so-called uh chan and Mm, uh you know white crane tai chi fight i don't think that's what led to the rooftop fights i think those were already going on and the rooftop was quite literally just a place of convenience for those fights, and I think that didn't have anything. I don't think anyone watched that terrible fight between those two so-called masters and then got inspired from that and decided to go fight. If anything, you would have watched these two masters fight and you would go, I'm going to quit Chinese martial arts right now, all right? (laughs) If if these are what masters in the art look like, I don't want anything to do with it.
2: (laughs) Now, is there anyone that you'd like to have a death match with?
1: Anyone I would like to have a death, Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> All right. I would love to have a death match with that yeah, guy. But Lock me in a cage with him.
2: Yeah, but that's cool. But what style does he do?
1: I don't know. He does the self-important style.
2: <laughs>
1: so, uh, you Dre, if you, dude, you know what? I don't understand. At first, Dre said he wasn't feeling well. Then he was looking kind of skinny. And then, like, in the time I answered that last question, have you been eating? Have you been bulking up?
0: I think I just had, like, a lot of, like, rice over the weekend. Oh,
1: okay, okay. Yeah. I was wondering if he shaved, too. Yeah. Maybe that's why he looks different.
0: Yeah, like, I had a lot of sun over the weekend.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> for sure. That's for sure. I, so what, yo. Yeah.
2: I was going to say, I just feel like he's been getting more and more swole as the
1: episode. I think along. so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. So what's the, uh, what's the next question?
0: The next question is from Arnel, the killer from Manila. Ew, he, sounds
1: like, he sounds like a nice guy. Like, I'll have a dinner with him. Arnel, the killer from <laughs> Manila sounds like a nice guy. This yes,
0: sounds like a nice guy. All right. Okay, so his question is, how should you describe Wing Chun as a martial art if a normie asks you about it? So, like, how would you, like, describe it? Like, I, like what is it?
1: Aha. huh So uh, I would say, and of course it depends on the situation, Mm -hmm. it depends on what this person is. Background, no background, Mm -hmm. but a normie, we assume they don't know anything. I usually just keep it really simple. Mm -hmm. I say, oh, Wing Chun is a Chinese martial art. It was the same style that Bruce Mm -hmm. Lee practiced in Hong Kong. And I usually leave it at that because if people have not heard about Wing Chun, most people have heard of Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. And I usually leave it at that. Sometimes if they pry a little bit more, maybe they want to know a little bit. I say Wing Chun is just a very close range fighting style and the idea is just to end an altercation very quickly. It's not really suitable for sport fighting. It's not a ring art. It's not a martial art for performance. It's just, hey, I'm here. You're there. You take a swing at me. I'm going to go in and try to finish the exchange as quickly as possible. So it's a straight to the point kind of short range boxing style. That's meant to end the fight quickly, low kicks, nothing that requires you to warm up or stretch out. We get things over very, very quickly, and that's it. It's straight and to the point. But if you want to do you know, ring fighting or kickbox or anything like that, it's not really the style for that. It's for, you know, you're in front of me, I'm here, you don't like me, you take a swing at me, I'll take care of myself. That's mm-hmm. the idea, that's the promise behind Wing Chun. Beyond that, Wing Chun doesn't really specialize in anything okay. beyond that. Okay.
2: I mean, that's always something I always wanted to ask you about—how it will kind of like related to, like the the ring idea. Because people ask me like all the time since I've been studying it. Right. And you know, my response, which without having asked you, is kind of like I feel like if you could even get into there in a ring, most of the stuff we do would probably be illegal. Well, that's part of it. Mm. But you, you. Because still- you actually like, you know, like
0: like alter it a bit to like fit like a uh, competitive yes. rules if, if
1: you wanted to use Wing Chun in ring sport yeah. you would need to understand the ring sport that you're going into I think most Wing Chun people who want to fight competitively mm-hmm. competitively, they have it the wrong way uh, they, they do Wing Chun and then they try to go into the ring using Wing Chun even though that's not the rules and the setup of the contest yeah. and then of course you're going to meet with very mixed results and um, If you want to fight competitively, let's say you want to do Wing Chun, Mm -hmm. you want to use Wing Chun, but you want to fight in Sanda, for example, Chinese kickboxing, then I'm of the opinion you need to learn Sanda and get good at it Mm -hmm. and then learn how to make your Wing Chun fit into the Sanda framework Mm -hmm. because the rules of Sanda, believe it or not, work for the martial art of Sanda. So shocker. Yeah. yeah, So that's why you have to then come from learning that martial art and then figure out how you can use Wing Chun ideas or concepts or strategies within that framework. If you wanted to do Muay Thai kickboxing, but you wanted to use Wing Chun, you need to learn Muay Thai kickboxing and then figure out how to make certain Wing Chun ideas and concepts fit within that framework not how to make Thai boxing work in the framework of Wing Chun when you're in a Thai boxing match. Yeah. You have to make Wing Chun work within the framework of Thai boxing in a Thai boxing match. Right. Uh, and so I would and I would say the same thing for regardless of what the competitive art was. If you wanted to use Wing Chun ideas in boxing, you should learn boxing. boxing, learn how to how to box and then learn how to use some Wing Chun ideas and strategies mixed in with boxing. And that's how you do it, not the other way around. Wing Chun is based on the idea that if my opponent is standing in front of me, of course, the first thing is you don't want to fight. You you Mm -hmm. try to avoid it. But if the person moves, you need to close the gap very quickly in a way where you don't get hit. And you try to shut the opponent down very fast, either by one really hard shot or by overwhelm or by moving out of the way, depending on what the situation is, by blitzing or by sticking and clinging and clinching and kind of what a lot of martial arts called dirty boxing, holding onto the head and hitting with elbows and, and punches like that. That's really what we do because... For self-defense, you kind of need a one-dimensional strategy. Because when you're under stress and pressure, someone is trying to attack you for whatever reason, That's you're not going to go back and forth and test the jab and see how he reacts and figure out his timing and then start setting up little attacks and traps to do this and that. Because in self-defense, you don't have that luxury. The guy stands in front of you, pushes you, takes a swing, and before you know it, you're fighting. So that's why for self-defense, you kind of need a one-dimensional strategy Uh, Or I should say a game plan where you go in and you execute the game plan. That execution, that game plan should be built to adapt to different things happening. But you need to have a game plan that is very specific and can help you in a wide variety of self-defense situations. When you're going in the ring, that's different. Because now you have to have a game plan for that specific guy who you know you're fighting and that guy also knows something about you, yeah. so you also have to do something different from what you normally do, which makes ring fighting and sport fighting a lot more multi-factorial and a lot more complicated than defending yourself in certain respects.
0: All right, next up, we got AJ All Day. AJ All Day. AJ All Day. He's asking, does training BJ WD? Help. Ooh, his handwriting. Little, little small handwriting. Move okay, <laughs> it's not on the screen. BJD. BJD. I assume the do. Batjampo. Do no. Uh, Buji, wooden dummy. Buji wooden dummy. Yeah, okay. Okay. Buji wooden dummy. Help someone better contextualize the more efficient in there. Oh, okay contextualize, be more efficient in their sunam Tao
1: Chum Q fundamentals? That's
0: it. That's uh, his question.
1: Yes, well, I mean, every every form, every part of the curriculum you learn as you kind of grow older in the Wing Chun system helps you understand that which you have previously learned. At least it should if you're learning the system in a way, uh, in a coherent way from a competent Sifu, right? So, when you learn the Siyunam Tao form, you only see one little corner of Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you start learning Chum Q which kind of opens up certain things, but also helps you understand Siyunam Tao a little bit more. Because you realize, oh, Siyunam Tao is just very elemental, elbow power, pressure, all these kind of things. Chum Kyu kind of puts that stuff on wheels a little bit and the, ha- the um, hand and body coordination. Mm-hmm. So it represents a little bit of um, a progression. Um, which helps you understand pseudo tau a little bit better. when you learn Buji, which has a slightly different movement idea, it's a lot curvier than the previous two forms and uh, there's certain ideas in how you move with your upper body that are in, to a certain degree you're kind of freeing yourself up a little bit when you do the buji form. All right. um, and more importantly when you start learning the Buji cheese out the buji applications because they more or less, the Buji stuff more or less is designed to handle the limitations of siyuram tao and Kiu. all right? Siyuram tao and Kiu, in the way I teach it, being the operating system of Wing Chun, all right? The, the meat and potatoes, the main thing that you're going to do when you apply Wing Chun to defend yourself is going to come from the first two forms, all right? Because that's kind of what you use. That's your operating system. Buji is actually a problem-solving form. Mm -hmm. So BUG handles two main topics, at least in the way we teach it in WT. One is what we call rapid resolution. All right. So essentially to try to end the fight quickly by using, I guess, what you could say is heavier firepower. All right. Obviously improving your striking power, but also striking with different types of tools in a way that hopefully, depending on how well you've trained and how, how good you are at executing it, hopefully can end the fight a little bit. More quickly than, say, if you just try to clobber someone with punches or okay. you can hit them in certain ways. And I'm not talking about dimak or secret positions or anything like that. I'm just talking about other types of striking methods which are very effective. So you have rapid resolution is one part of what BUG teaches. And then you have essentially recovery uh, from bad positions. Yeah. Okay. So when you are in... Positions that are atypical of Wing Chun. You lost your center line. You lost your position. You're you're moving back on your heels. You're getting pushed. You're not in your kind of standard structured Wing Chun. You're you're the other guys putting a lot of heat on you, and your your structure is maybe breaking, or you're moving backwards, or so, something's something's going wrong with the standard operating system game plan. Mm-hmm. And so then Buji teaches you how to recover from bad positions. So that in and of itself makes buji essentially a problem-solving form you learn pseudo Tao and chum Q you learn how to apply it in sparring and in cheese out against different types of attacks and people trying to grab you punch you take you down do this that or whatever and you learn how to apply those things and then there' are certain situations for which it seems like pseudo Tao and chum Q doesn't have a great solution for uh, and those are usually the things that are kind of Corrected in Buji if you learn it from a competent instructor. Okay, well, in this situation, actually, you should do it this way here. If you're in this odd angle, here's the recovery tool for that, so on and so forth. And so, the weird effect that Buji has mm-hmm. on your Sunum Tao and Chum Q to kind of answer the question here is that when you learn how to overcome the limitations of Sunum Tao and Chum or the liabilities of getting in certain positions, because Buji shows you how to get out of bad positions, you start to recognize. How to stay out of those bad positions to begin with. Ooh. So, in other words, you become a, a firmer believer in the fundamentals of sunam Tao and Chumkyu once you know how to get out of the bad versions of that. Because the mistake that some people make with Biuji, and this is this famous saying in Wing Chun that the Biuji should not be applied recklessly. Mm. And that has mm. two potential meanings. One, on the rapid resolution end, if you just recklessly decide to to hit your partner with a chancel right on the jaw, mm. well, you could damage or really hurt your partner. Or if you decide just to wantonly give someone a you know, a throat-cutting hand or something like that, which is basically a type of fox, um, you could really hurt someone when maybe you could have just given them a palm and shoved them back instead of really trying to crack them with one of these things. So you shouldn't be reckless in applying Buji for that reason. Some of the slashing elbows and stuff like that are dangerous, right? These are things that could potentially hurt someone. I mean, that's why they're there. But the other reason why some of the ancestors may have had this saying, of course, it's all speculation, (laughs) is that because Byuji also teaches you recovery, how to get out of bad positions, when you lost your center line, you're sideways, you're on the heels, you're falling backwards, you're stumbling, you've bent forward, your posture is compromised. Byuji kind of gives you a, a set of tools to get out of those positions there's a tendency and i see it even here at city wing chun among some of my senior students to almost purposely put themselves in those positions <laughs> to kind of pull oh, some right, magic right. pull right. some rabbit out of the hat yeah. to kind of and they're doing it almost like for a technical vanity here mm. let me show you that if i give up my center line which yeah. is a big no-no in wing chun i can still recover oh, man. right so that then becomes almost a temptation to go into those bad positions on purpose just to show that you can go out now sometimes yeah. That's actually a really good and smart training method. If you're training with someone who's really good and you put yourself in a bad position on purpose because you want that person to try to take advantage and then you try to recover, well, that's actually really good training because now you are learning how to recover out of a bad position against someone who's actually good. The liability of training like that is sometimes just putting yourself in a bad position for the sake of training. Yeah. And- and what, it a habit. Yeah, and what you train regularly becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. So you might have a habit, for example, against very simple, easy to defend attacks, totally turning and, and giving up your back because you want to, you know, mm-hmm. stick with your shoulder as a recovery tool, only to find out this guy's seeing that again and again, and they're going to take your back. Mm-hmm. So when you learn Buji and Buji's curriculum, and you learn how to you learn rapid resolution and you learn recovery, you generally tend to try to avoid the trappings of both of those things by sticking to firmer basics. So it's kind of like Biugii teaches you how to get out, but that doesn't mean you should allow yourself in so easily. Mm -hmm. So I find that once students really learn how to recover with Biugii, They tend to be a little bit more conservative not getting in those positions, all right? And that usually comes after a period of them intentionally putting themselves in those positions and getting in trouble. And then going, yeah, okay, this is cool. I can turn up my shoulder like a Mayweather shoulder roll against this punch and then follow up with this thing. But if I do that regularly, the person's going to see it and they're going to take my back. So it then forces them to be more ardent about following basics and following standard protocol and wooden dummy is essentially something that teaches the wing chun practitioner to become more efficient. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, there's a streamlining effect to learning that and when you learn how to streamline movements then you start to understand the movement at its at its source. So wooden dummy helps you understand why do we do this in chun Tawan chun Why do we do it this way in Biuji? And why do we do it this way in wooden dummy? Because there's a progression. There's a reason why we d- Go to this from that. And so learning those things definitely helps you contextualize the lower forms. But I wouldn't say learning the form teaches you that. Learning how to use those movements in application helps you understand Town and chumkew better. So uh, we got time for another one?
0: Uh, I think we do. Here we got time for a couple more. We okay, got time for a few more. All right, next up we got Crichton Freeman. All right. All right, Crichton Freeman says, Wait! Okay. Didn't the police show up with the cute restaurant owner at the end of Way of the Dragon and the rest, the mafia boss who was shooting at Tong Long? So the law already knew the boss was trying to kill him? So they find out the hairy American guy was a hitman, and Tong Long pleads self-defense and gets to fly back to Hong Kong. Not that far-fetched.
1: Ah, okay. So this is in a direct response to me kind of taking aim at Way of the Dragon when people were talking about realism in Kung Fu movies. And I said, look, Tang Long, Bruce Lee's character in Way of the Dragon, murdered a dude in the Coliseum. (laughs) All right? And then got on a plane, presumably, just flew back to Hong Kong, arrived at Kai Tak Airport, and, you know, by by 1 p.m. was eating his cheng fun already. Uh,
2: I don't know, man. (laughs) I think Crotin Freeman makes a fair point.
1: Okay. Uh, You know, and... Tang Lung is eating his uh, chang Fun and, yeah. and they're like, oh, how was that trip to Italy? Oh, man. Yeah. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I, had to kill, I had to kill this hairy-ass karate guy, all right? <laughs> yeah. And they what? let you get away with it? No, no, no. It's okay. Yeah. It was self-defense. It was self-defense. All right? <gasps> uh, In the okay. UK. I get it. Mm-hmm. Except that. Self-defense law. All right, First of all, we're talking about Europe. Oh, right.
0: Rome. Self-defense law.
1: Okay. The, you could plead a case when, like, the the old restaurant owner who kind of backstabbed everyone and then started stabbing the dudes who yeah, worked there. Spoiler that alert. Nuts. Yeah, was nuts. Right. If you haven't seen it. Uh, the, the double cross, sorry. which is very typical of Chinese films. Okay. It's always the double cross from the avuncular so character. It was supposed in the, to yeah. be
0: in that movie no matter what. Right. Okay. And then, of
1: course, if they went back and killed that dude, yeah. you could say that self-defense.
0: Yeah, I was weirded out
1: by All that right. scene. But Tang Long basically uh, uh, chases um, the effeminate translator <laughs> all the way to the Coliseum. True, all right? Okay. So Far. that that guy's like Tang long, ha, ha He's like he's like yeah. taunting him, right? Uh-huh. Tang Long is chasing him, okay? Uh, that is not self-defense. <laughs> okay. If 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 some dude is running going, ha, ha, and, you know, pulling like yeah. that bully from The Simpsons, ha, uh, ha, uh, oh, Tang Long, <laughs> you will die, and he keeps yeah. running or whatever, and you keep chasing that guy. Yeah. How are you going to explain <laughs> to a judge that that's self-defense? Hmm. You are chasing someone. For a while. Okay. So, Tang Long is essentially chasing that character. Yeah. And so chasing someone is not self-defense. He gets to the Coliseum chasing this dude, and they pull the old switcheroo. Oh, you're not going to totally beat up the effeminate Chinese translator.
0: Switcheroo? I I don't even know how that...
1: No, because the idea is that he's baiting them to come there, and aha, we True. got we got Colts, you know, Chuck yeah. Norris' character, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like, but you know. That's the switcheroo? Yeah,
1: Bruce Lee thinks he's going to go there and beat that ass I of that, of, of, uh, of right? that uh, translator, right? Okay. He thinks he's just going to beat some skinny ass up yeah. there, right? Gets up there, and, and oh, me. man, there's a hairy-ass karate guy here, all right?
2: <laughs> so hairy. Okay,
1: so how do you justify to a judge mm. that chasing someone, all right, from Sai Saikong, Hong Kong to the Colosseum in Rome, which, by the way, you ne- can never unsee. When they shot Way of the Dragon, because, of course, Bruce Lee wanted to make the film a big spectacle, they actually went to Rome to shoot scenes in front of the Colosseum. All right. And they shot a bunch of exteriors, like at the fountains and in the plaza. And, and you know, those exteriors were shot in Rome with those characters. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie was shot in studio at Golden Harvest. Uh-huh. Okay, so when you actually see Chug Norris outside the Coliseum, that was shot in Rome. All oh, right. When they're fighting inside, that's on Hammerhill Road in Kowloon. <laughs> that's inside. You can literally see that the Coliseum is, the is painted on a wall there, right? Man. Yeah. So so Man. when you see that, it's like very jarring, right? Now the funny thing is. When they go to that field before the final fight scene, yeah. that field is so obviously Hong Kong. How it's so obviously <laughs> not Italy. Okay, a couple things. Okay, uh, the big bo- the the bad boss or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he drives a. Um, Uh, Mercedes, which was Bruce Lee's Mercedes with the license plate AX6590, I think. What? Which is actually Bruce Lee's I think, which is actually Bruce Lee's license plate. Wow. Bruce Lee used his Mercedes SL Uh with his own actual license plate on there because, of course, it's the 70s. No one had internet or whatever. If you did that now, everyone would know where he lived because they would see where the car was registered to. So you see that and the steering wheel is on the right hand side. Hong Kong was a British colony and Italy does not have right hand side steering wheels alright awesome. so the moment you see that you go oh <laughs> then you look at the foliage and you see the trees and how uh-huh. tropical it is and you go this <laughs> is Hong Kong <laughs> alright so they have that, that scene wow. out there right with the Mercedes wow. with the steering wheel on the- and then I think later the cop cars mm-hmm. come
3: Mm -hmm. And
1: you see these are Hong Kong cop cars with right-hand, or at least they're just Hong Kong cars posing as cop cars, right-hand steering wheel, Hong Kong-style license (laughs) plates. All Uh, right? Okay? So you see that and you go, oh, my God, right? And then he's running. Yeah. He's chasing the effeminate guy, which is not self-defense. Runs down some Hong (laughs) Kong streets. (laughs) He goes to the Coliseum Mm -hmm. chasing this skinny-ass dude, not (laughs) self-defense. Right. Sees the karate guy, and you know what you do when you see a hairy ass karate guy, in s- when you thought you were going to see some skinny Chinese dude, you go, "Ah, yeah, I'm out of here." <laughs> All right, but he decides to fight this guy for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Right? They 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 do their ceremonial stretching. Mm. All right. <laughs> yeah. What? How can you say it's self defense? Mm-hmm. When you take time out to take your jacket off, oh, yeah, take off your karate gi top and belt, do your stretching, do your warm ups, and then walk to the area to fight. This, sir, is a fight. This is not self defense, not okay? This cannot be categorized as social uh, violence, man. it cannot be categorized as um predatory violence. It's not, he wasn't jumped by Chuck Norris. He took off his jacket. He warmed up. They squared off. This is a fight which is not legally justified. Yeah. And the result of that fight is Tang Lung murdered the hairy karate guy. Okay. Wow. Even as wacky as Italy can be sometimes, yeah. I still think you would have a hard time. You'd be very hard pressed to find a judge that would hear the facts of this case and somehow think Tang Long was acting in self-defense. All right? So my criticism of the film still stands. I I have have three words for you. Yes.
2: Suspension of disbelief.
1: Get out of here. All Kung Fu movies are real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, Oh, man. But think about it. In Bruce Lee's first two films, he got his comeuppance at the end. That is true, actually. At the end of Big Boss, he kills the big boss. Mm-hmm. He gets arrested. That's the final scene. At the end of Fist of Fury, he knows because he killed all the Japanese dudes and the Japanese guys basically occupy Shanghai at that time. He knows he's going to die. So what does he do? He runs and goes out in a blaze of glory and gets shot by the firing squad. So in the first film, he gets arrested. He goes to jail for his crimes. Second film, he gets shot for his crimes. Way the Dragon, he kills a hairy karate dude in the Coliseum. And presumably gets on a plane and goes back to Hong Kong just in time for his afternoon chong fun.
2: I've actually, I right. found, I found how he beats it with the judge.
1: Right? You figured it out, yeah, or I figured you were it there? Out.
2: Okay. It's in the Colosseum. They're gladiators. All bets are off.
1: Oh, maybe there's some like old law wow. on the Italian books. Yeah, right. That says if you That's if you duel fire. someone to the death in the Colosseum, it, yeah. it's kind of like. Um, it's a, it's a sanctuary from Italian laws, hmm. right? Yeah, it's a safe haven. I Just mean, that look, look, one vac, particular vac can, area.
2: Yeah, Vatican City is its own. It's, it's Oddly enough, one of the own, own, only one of the 22 uh, countries that England haven't invaded Fantastic. is Vatican City.
1: Fantastic. Which
2: happens to be in the center of Rome, which has its own laws. Yo. So why wouldn't the Colosseum work that way? Because mm-hmm. it's a gladiatorial... Or was a gladiatorial arena.
1: Makes sense. Okay. Makes sense.
2: Mm. Yeah. Crichton Freeman, uh, you owe me 20 bucks for that.
1: Wow. <laughs> All right. You put a Last question. That. Last question. You sure? Yeah.
2: Are you sure?
1: I am sure. What?
2: Okay. We'll Mainly
1: because, as you know, today we talked to ITC. We recorded an episode early today, mm-hmm. which was like about two hours, hour and a half, right? Yeah. Recording an episode. Me giving brilliant answers to questions. I then taught No, actually... It wasn't that. This morning I did. Uh, we recorded Yip Man Part Two, so it was yeah. me using my brain. brain then I taught yips. Wing Chun for six hours, and now you guys forced me to do another episode. My brain is turning into soup right now. Oh, all right, one it. more question, and I need to go home and I need to go to sleep. All right,
4: all right. Okay. Fortunately, there's only one question left. Okay. Perfect. Perfect timing. It's from my man Dreyson.
2: Oh fuck. <laughs> What? Are kidding me? Really?
4: It's not like some dude from Florida's here. It's just Dreyson. I'm having
1: deja vu all over again. There's
2: something very weird about this.
1: You know, I know you like to clown the audience. Like, when the camera's on me, you'll part your hair to the other side, or you'll change up your headphones, you'll put on sunglasses, or you'll change your jacket. You do that to mess with the audience, right? But I'm having a little bit of deja vu to the very first Dreyson question. And you looking like this
4: what all
2: right it's, there's something
1: very familiar about
2: something this.
4: very familiar all right so what is that Dryson question all right so my man Dyson says yo sifu alex picture this you're chilling at your place in orlando florida
2: uh, before we go uh, go any further is this a hypothetical
4: I'm reading the question right now. I don't know.
1: You know he's reading the question because he's pointing to it. Oh, oh, it's right here. Yeah, Mike, can I drink this gel, please?
4: All right. Yeah. Reading it. You're chilling and you hear something on your back patio. Something loud. Something growling. Okay. So you go. How do you know I have a back patio? You, uh,
1: the Drystin, has never been to my Florida place.
4: I checked it out on the, the website because I was uh, thinking about going uh, to Orlando. About
1: Airbnb in my place. Got yeah. It, got come it. on. All right.
4: Mm-hmm. Go kitty okay. Wing Chun. Anyway. <laughs> but so like, you hear something out there. and You go out there. Big old gator. Massive.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: All of a sudden, hum, eat you in one bite. Jeez. Just like at the end of Hook. You know, when the gator clock... Hum, eat you in one bite.
1: Got it. That was a deep cut reference. And you're <laughs> in,
4: and you're fighting because he ate you in one bite. And you're freaking out and you're trying to punch your way out of his stomach. And all of a sudden, boom, somebody slaps you. It's Grandmaster Gitman. He's shaking you, trying to wake you up. Next thing you know, it's like 1955 Hong Kong. You're on a back patio. Christ. This was a hypothetical. <laughs> and he looks at you. He says, are you okay? What? You started freaking out. You're like, Yipman? He's like, obviously. He sets you up. He says, you need you want to chill out back here for a minute on the patio with me? I'm just smoking some opium. We're chilling out. It's a nice evening. What? Wow. <laughs> right. He looks at you and he goes, can I ask you a question? Yipman wants to ask you a question.
1: Yipman wants to ask me a question. He goes, quite yeah, quite
4: he question. goes, can you tell me about the Amin Bostepe versus William Chung fight?
1: Oh my God, this was the biggest <laughs> troll. <laughs> oh, I'm sent back in time to tell Yip Man about the Amin versus William Chung fight. Oh my God, he must be a regular watcher of this podcast to know that I get that question at least once a week. Yo, can you talk about the William Chung versus Amin fight? I'm not going to talk about that, and that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. Like this episode. And if you have questions for me on a future episode, write it in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time.
0: Word is, I'm a Kung Fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet League, cause I'm the one. Many call me seafood, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and casket. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor.
1: One, two, three, clap. All right, all the Drays got the clap.
0: Question.
1: I didn't expect Tom to talk about getting wet. All right, cool. Who do we got next, Dre? Dre? Dre! No, I was trying to get the oh, we got this guy here. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the next question? You'll have to edit that, Andrew. <laughs> it's okay. Andrew will edit all of this dead air out. Dre, sometimes I know, like, you like to clown the audience and you like to change your looks a little bit, right? <laughs> the vacuum going on right now. That is the vacuum, that's a cleaning lady. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. We'll be really quick. Yeah,
4: right. Hey, Drake, we'll try and get this right in two takes. Yes. All right, here we go. Two takes, Jake. Infinite take Drake.
1: All right, peeps. Wow, one take. One take. One
4: take.
1: Yo. All right. Awesome. Yes. Awesome.
4: Out, out, out,
3: out,